Welcome to The Book Podcast, where we discuss books about the book, the Bible, with your hosts, Scott Moffitt, Gabriel Penfield, and Gary Karwaski. We go as deep as we can go, look as hard as we can look, but we only scratch the surface of the meaning of the book. We only scratch the surface of the meaning of the book. Hello to all our listeners. Welcome to our 29th podcast of the book. As always, we host in-depth discussions with authors about their books today. Our guest for the second time is J.B. Hickson. As you know, J.B. is an author, a conference speaker, a pastor, and a podcaster, I think. The last time we were together and uh, with J.B. in podcast episode number 25, at that time we reviewed his first book of the series, Spirit of the Antichrist. Today, we look at Spirit of the Antichrist number two. Two. If you would like a full biography of JB, you can watch our first podcast, or you can go to his site, notbyworks.com or .net. O-R-G. O-R-G. I'm sorry, O-R-G. O-R-G. Or you can just buy all of his books on Amazon.com or some other website, including JB's. And there are also many videos and sermons that will enrich your understanding of the Bible and of end times and of the Antichrist. So welcome back, JB. Hey, my pleasure. Really excited to be back with you guys. Appreciate you helping us get the word out about this important subject. I'm your host, Scott Moffat. And we are joined today by retired Pastor Gary, by retired Pastor Gary Karwaski, and my grandson Gabriel Penfield. Please subscribe to our podcast and also hit the notification bell, and that would help us very much. That's the end of the commercial. This book, like the first volume of *The Spirit of the Antichrist*, is a disturbing read. Yeah, it's my view that most believers in Christ only want to live a peaceful and a blessed life. They have no cognitive understanding of the battle that we participate in on a daily basis. Most believers want to live their life proverbially with their heads in the sand and just ignore the chaos that's going on in our culture. I was reminded of this as I began to organize a trip to Israel, and many of my folks told me they had no desire to go on a trip to Israel, even though that's the birthplace of their faith and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I observed them over time that they did like to travel. They would go to places like Disney World, Vegas, or Caribbean Cruise, Cancun. (laughs) They sure like to take vacations, but they can't fathom going to Israel. Well. I believe that this raises some serious questions about where the church is today. This prompts me to ask you the question, the same one I began with last time, JB. Why did you write this book? Well, so, you know, the the beginnings of this book really go back 15 years. And I won't tell the whole story because I know we covered that in the first podcast. But essentially, I believe that uh, the signs of the times point to the soon coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I, I don't think we can set a date, and but it just seems like uh, the stage is being set more than ever before uh, for end times events. And if that's the case, then that means the rapture uh, is, is even closer. And so... Uh, There is a Luciferian conspiracy, as clearly outlined in Scripture, particularly passages like Psalm 2, that talk about how the leaders of the world are conspiring together to to break the bonds of control that God has. Uh, Satan has control issues. You know, he wants to to be in control. He wanted to control heaven, and uh, that coup attempt failed, and he was cast down to the earth. And today, the earth is his playground. The whole world is under the sway of the wicked one, and he's trying his hardest to take over the world and usher in a one-world system, religiously, politically, and economically. Mm-hmm. And uh, that will happen at least for a seven-year period, uh, short-lived, under the tyrannical reign of the Antichrist, Satan's man of the hour. And so I believe we're getting closer and closer 
uh, to these types of things happening. Uh, obviously, the Antichrist won't be unveiled until after the rapture, but certainly the one-worldism, the globalism uh, that undergirds all that Satan and his earthly accomplices are are, are working on uh, is, is unfolding right before our very eyes. And so the key passage uh, for the book is uh, 1 John 4, 3, that tells us the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work. And so we're just simply taking that premise and examining uh, geopolitical events and cultural events all around us, uh, both in the United States and globally, and making the case that indeed that that spirit is on on the upsurge, that evil spirit. Before I allow my my co-podcasters to jump in here and jump your your esteemed colleagues, that, that too. I have a question. Do you do you notice that behind me in the back of the room there, the elephant that's there? <laughs> I wanted to I wanted to talk to you about that elephant. What do you think about what's in the news everywhere in Christendom, the Asbury revival and no. the Jesus revolution or the Jesus movement of the late 1960s, the hippie movement? Could you just share us with us your thoughts? Yeah, so we know that deception is getting worse and worse, and I think certainly the 60s and 70s were were quite a uh, case study in the manner in which deception was creeping into evangelicalism. And so, um, you know, the the subjectivism and emotionalism that characterized a lot of that uh, movement that was going on then uh, have been, you know, talked about at length. So I won't take time to go into that, but I can tell you, because uh, I've recently uh, com commented on the Asbury phenomena, my take on it is, first of all, you know, biblically and theologically, the Bible is our only standard for our beliefs, attitudes, and practices. So whatever else we say about phenomena like this, it has to be true to Scripture. And so uh, we we know that there, contrary to what a lot of people are saying, there is not going to be a great global planetary end times revival prior to the return of Christ. That is mm -hmm. directly contrary to what God's Word says. In fact, God's Word says explicitly the opposite, mm -hmm. that evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, 2 Timothy 3.13. So the, the earth is getting worse and worse. Uh, depravity is a degenerative disease. And until the Prince of Peace and King of Kings himself comes back and takes the throne, we will not see a global revival. But that said, we certainly know from 2,000 years of church history, as well as, uh, you know, 6,000 years of human history, that the Spirit of God is alive and well, and there are, at any given time, pockets of localized revival where the mighty move of God is taking place in various ways. Um, but it always has to be tested against uh, the authority of Scripture. And what concerns me about Asbury, and admittedly, I wasn't there. It was a 16-day prolonged phenomena. Uh, the coverage that I've seen certainly showed a lot of emotional young people and and older people uh, that seem to be moved in some manner. Um, but it's difficult for me to see how the Spirit of God would legitimately move in an environment that for 130 years has preached a false gospel in line with the Wesleyan holiness movement. It's a works-based philosophy of salvation. They believe you can lose your salvation. You have to hang on to your salvation. You can forfeit your salvation. So they don't understand the very basic premise of grace. And so uh, could the Spirit of God touch lives and move in, in that type of way in that environment? I mean, hypothetically, yes, but it will be interesting to see if any of these people for whom uh, that, that are claiming to have had a genuine spiritual move uh, are actually going to repent of their works-based philosophy and embrace grace and start preaching and proclaiming a clear, urgent, and accurate gospel. So mm -hmm. my gut tells me it was mostly an emotional occurrence. Uh, that which is nothing wrong with emotion. I mean, God made us as emotive beings, but that emotion, if it's not held in check by the truth, you know, spirit and truth, can can go awry. And so, I don't want to pour water on anything God might be trying to do in individual lives around the country. Because remember, it turned into something well beyond Wilmore, Kentucky. Um, I don't want to pour water on that. Um, hypothetically and theologically, it certainly could be the case that the Spirit of God moves in such a way. But there are a lot of question marks in my mind because so much of what that institution stands for, and even what some of the speakers and testimonies and so forth that were taking place during that 16 days, so much of that is contrary to the plain teaching of Scripture. 
Yeah. Just just as an aside, do you know why they moved it off campus? I, I, I don't know. Room. I thought it was room. Yeah, yeah that, that would have been my guess too. No, 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 no. Oh, come on. They found out that one, this is the gospel truth. They found out one person had measles that attended it. Oh, really? Get out. <laughs> oh, come on. Well, that's another that's, little That's tidbit. the reason. Yeah. All right. Well, next thing for Gary. a little tidbit. Um, <laughs> I just want to highlight a passage that you said, which is, I think, really important. Second uh, Timothy chapter three. That's the passage that says in the last days, uh, or sh- I should say in the, yeah, the last days, difficult times will come. And then it lists, I've counted them, 19 different I guess you could call them sins or perversions. And any of our listeners, if they want to go there and read through that, you're going to read through that and say, my goodness, this is going on right now today. Every bit of it. Yeah, no doubt. And, and uh, you know, we're living in the last days. Um, and I believe we're living in the last of the last days. Remember, <laughs> yeah. biblically, the last days is the entire church age. And I, you know, can't prove it, but if you if you back me into a corner, I'd say based on the signs of the times, we're living in the last of the last days. Mm, there you go. So, so you're saying maybe maybe you're hopeful for the revival, but maybe a little bit too early to say that it's a widespread biblical, actual repentant thing. Uh, I mean, I think. I, I can be more dogmatic about it being a if you if by widespread you mean global. I, it's not global. There's no question yeah. about that. Anytime there's a global revival, it's going to be a, a, a fake revival and yeah. until Jesus comes back. Yeah. So, um, what is the um, yeah that makes sense. What is what is the subtitle of your book? So the subtitle of both books is the the gathering cloud of deception, <laughs> and of course that's the the primary premise is that Gee. we have been deceived. You know? So Gee. what kind of tactics does the evil one use to deceive people? Yeah, so he <laughs> he deconstructs language. He um, uses misinformation and disinformation. He questions truth. He outright contradicts truth. He creates his own truth, and, and we get into all of that in volume one. Yeah, yes. he imitates. Yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Hmm. I was all reading right. somewhere else, but you didn't bite. I. It's all right. It's fine. <laughs> so, Gary? we get to some of the controversial stuff here? Yes, please do. Let's do that. Um, you say in your book that the United States is not an exceptional nation compared with others. Uh, that could be taken as a progressive left statement. How do you refute that? that the, and also you mentioned, let's let's lump these together. There's really no true left-right paradigm. Mm-hmm. Is all right. this just made up? Yeah. So in volume one, which we talked about last time, I get into the false left-right paradigm, the origins of it coming out of the Council on Foreign Relations in the 60s. It was an orchestrated, intentional way uh, to uh, to divide people and yet still move their Luciferian agenda forward. Uh, it's a classic technique of uh, you know Friedrich Hegel, the Hegelian dialectic, they call it. I have a whole chapter yeah. on that in volume one. But uh, so, yeah, there's no question that there are there is a philosophical right and left. Obviously, those on the right are holding to a biblical worldview and and a moral compass. Those on the left are more, you know, uh, socialist and and reject absolute truth. Uh, So there is a right left philosophically and morally. But in terms of the political climate of America, there isn't. That both sides are controlled. Uh, I've I've documented this extensively in the books, uh, and uh, and so I think what they want us to do is to think that if we just simply vote for the Republicans, we can change the world, and yet nothing ever does change. Yeah, it doesn't so, happen. But back to the American exceptionalism, uh, that comes from Chapter Seven in Volume Two of Spirit of the Antichrist, where I uh, make the case that. Both the fingerprints of God and the fingerprints of Satan are on the founding of America. So there's no question that America is the greatest nation on earth, that God has used it more than any other for the advancement of the gospel. And that goes back to the early 17th century when the pilgrims, as they're now called, first came over on the Mayflower and first came uh, seeking religious freedom. And they were devout men and women of faith, whatever their doctrinal aberrations may have been. They, they believed in the Bible. They looked at to God as their ultimate authority. And 
and they had a moral compass and they simply wanted to come over and 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 promote truth and and you know have freedom to 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 believe in the lord and study his word um it wasn't until 100 years later or more that the founding fathers came over seeking a beachhead for the new world order. That's why they called it the new world. And most of them were a part of Freemasonry. They established the Illuminati in 1776. And this is well-documented. I documented in chapter seven. Yes. So what they intended originally was to take this, what they perceived as newfound territory and use it as a real springboard and beachhead to usher in Satan's, you know, one world system. What they vastly underestimated, uh, Gary, is the power of God's people, the power of the Holy Spirit in and through the church, the power of God's word. And so within about 100 years after the founding of our country, they realized that they weren't going to be able to accomplish their goal as quickly as they thought. It kind of got away from them, thanks to... Chuck's darn. What's that? Chuck's darn. Yeah, I mean, it it just was a matter of... uh, of of God having other plans, you know, God is the ultimate arbiter of what what happens. He's sovereign, and so He used this nation in a mighty way. But uh, as I'm I'm going to be documenting at a conference uh, upcoming, I don't know when this interview is going to air, but uh, I have a conference here just in a couple of days in Orlando where I'm going to be talking about how the Luciferian elites got together around the end of the 19th century, early 20th century, and they made an intentional, concerted effort at that point to wrestle control of America away from God-fearing men and women of faith, and they set in motion a plan to destroy this country. And they took over medicine, education, the media, the financial economic system with the establishment of the Federal Reserve, and several other things. And now here we are, 120 years later, reaping the consequences of it. So, this what the downfall of America was not an organic natural process that just was the result of the depravity of man. Certainly, that's a big part of it. But there was a documented intentional uh, plan on the part of the Luciferians to bring down America because they know they that America is the one nation standing in the way of them rolling out the one world yeah. system. Yeah, yeah. the uh, this current administration. Uh, is certainly doing their best to tear down America. And people say, well, they're just stupid or ignorant. No, they're smart. This is what they want to do because they want to build back better. And that, we'll get into that later. That's kind of the great reset thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no you question. can throw it in now. I, you know, either way. Yeah, no, I mean, I, the first three chapters of volume two are all about Klaus Schwab, Yuval Noah Harari, the World Economic uh. Forum. The global elites and and that that being kind of the beachhead of their plan. So they really believe, as I d- document in the book, that they are nearing the end. I have a chapter in volume two that's all about the Luciferian timetable, where in their own writings yeah. and their own agenda, they are telegraphing that they want the one world system to be fully operational by the end of the 2020s. And that goes back to uh, you know agenda 2030. And, uh, you know, the Great Reset, as you said, I call it the Great Satanic Reset. And so it doesn't mean they're going to be successful because, of course, God is the one that calls the shots. But it is helpful to know the enemy's uh, game plan, and this is their uh, their game plan. So, yeah, right now, the World Economic Forum is kind of front and center, the face, if you will, of the Luciferian agenda. And uh, Klaus Schwab, for example, I have a lot of data about him in the book. Uh, He... He's, you know, older now in his 80s. He really believes that before he dies, uh, he's going to see this promised land of a one world system run by the adepts, the the Luciferian elite, and uh, see the depopulation, you know, uh, effort come to fruition. And uh, he can taste it. He thinks they're so close he can taste it. So, uh, so again, that's why it's so important for us to hang on to the truth of God's word, to understand the big picture. There is an urgency of the hour to share the gospel. And every conference I speak at, I always am, am, am very passionate about uh, proclaiming the gospel, because especially in these days when more and more people are waking up to you know, what they might call the deep state or the shadow government. You know, a lot of people are, are recognizing that there's someone else pulling the strings, but they don't connect the dots biblically to the ultimate conspiracy, the Luciferian conspiracy. So because of that, we get a lot of people that come to different venues where I might be speaking, and they don't know the Lord. And so we want to remind people that, you know, their only hope is to place their faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, 
who died and rose again to pay their personal penalty for sin. And if they do that, then on the authority of Scripture and Jesus' own promise himself, they can be born again, forgiven of their sins, and they will be able to spend eternity in heaven. Look how he slipped the gospel in there. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, it's what matters most. Amen. Amen. Yeah. yeah. Would you say, um, going back to America was founded on those Judeo-Christian values, and you mentioned how like 1900 or 1800s going into 1900s, right, that kind of swapped, right, that kind of swapped. Would you say that the reason that we're going more towards the unified government, is it because we're moving away from those Judeo-Christian values? Like, I guess, is it proportional? Do Judeo-Christian values, do they stand for maybe divided government, localized government? Or do you think it's kind of like, we're going down with Judeo-Christian values, but also it's unified government? Do those relate in any way? Well, that's a, yeah, they do. That's a great question, Gabe. And I'm actually going to be talking about that. Again, I know this is being pre-recorded, but it's all jumbled together in my mind. I'm talking about <laughs> that tonight at Prophecy Night in Denver, and then yeah. I'll be talking about it again in Orlando in a few days. But the biblical model goes from globalism to nationalism to globalism. So mm. it was globalism until after the flood. Then you have the table of nations and the establishment of nationalism, and that's God's divine design. And that's what where we're living in today. We are still right. in the national, the divine, divine nationalism, and any attempt on the part of anyone to bring back a globalist worldview or world environment is satanic. Yeah. Um, it, we're not going to be back in the globalist system again until Jesus Christ comes back and and rules the world globally. So, so yes, there is a sense in which these the, the Luciferians who have been struggling to take over the world for six thousand years are desperately trying to destroy nationalism and national sovereignty and statehood and instead bring everybody on board to a central global government. But to do that, they have to bring down America. And mm. to clarify one thing that you said, it's my perspective, and this may be splitting hairs or mincing words, I don't. I wouldn't say that America as a nation was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. I think the people that came over and you know, were the first ones to arrive in North America, the pilgrims, the Puritans, and so forth, for a hundred years. Absolutely, passionately Judeo-Christian values and, and worldview. But the ones that came over intentionally from Europe with a marching orders from the Freemasons and other Luciferian elites over there that had been, you know, I'm talking about going way back millennia to the ancient Near East, you know, the Luciferians, they had a different agenda. And mm -hmm. I make, uh, you know, I, I think uh, a good case for that in chapter seven, you know, a lot of people can cherry pick certain quotes from some of our founding fathers that we would say a hearty amen to. But if you do your research, there are equally as many and sometimes more quotes from those same founding fathers that, that ought to you know, curl curl your skin. I mean, it. They're they were not all Christians. Uh, they were not all believers by any stretch. And they had, uh, you know, Thomas Jefferson, for example, uh, ripped out every word of Christ from the Bible. I've seen his Bible. We've we've done the research. We've traveled. We've been to these places. I've seen it in a display case at the Jefferson Museum. All the pa passages where Jesus said something cut out. He didn't think Jesus. He compared Jesus' words to. A pile of dung. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, so we need to be careful about claiming that somehow the founding fathers, even though we're thankful for their patriotism and their constitutionalism and some of those things that that set them apart from a uh, a monarchy, we're thankful for that. And in principle, I would agree with a lot of the constitutionalism. That that's where we have to have a nuance and understand that these weren't all godly, born again Christians. Well, some were though. Some were, sure. Some some were. Yeah. yeah. So just yeah. to be clear, some but, were, some but were. people that were leading it were were results of the Enlightenment and their and their Renaissance and yeah. all that. Yeah, absolutely. Jefferson. You, you would and, say and, you're uh, not a fan of David Barton, then. Uh, no, I, I I've worked with David. I've shared the platform with him. Um, I respect him, but in, on balance, I feel like he has uh, cherry picked quotes and painted a picture that's not entirely accurate. And one illustration that I give in my book is I list several quotes in there from the likes of Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, Nancy Pelosi, Joe Biden, all of which, if you had nothing but those quotes, you would think they were godly born-again Christians. Right. But when you look right. at the corpus of their entire writings, you begin to realize there's more to it than that. Yeah, and that uh, was really effective, I thought. Yeah, and I'm not judging anyone's heart. Right. You know, that's between them and the Lord. But I'm just saying, I feel like he would be better served, going back to Barton, uh, to... 
come clean uh, with some of the, the the other contextualized quotes from these guys. And, you know, that's what I try to do. I, I give credit where credit's due. They were, they were wise men in some ways. Uh, they had some good principles of government, uh, but they were not all uh, God-fearing Christians doing the work of the Lord. They had an, an, another agenda. All right. So I just want to make this clear. You're going to Orlando, right? I am, yes. And that's for a conference. It's not a Benny Hinn's church, is it? Uh, no, I didn't even know Benny Hinn was there. <laughs> I, uh, I didn't either. Yeah. Now a serious question. <laughs> so far, you've said you you state in your book that Americans have dodged serious persecution. We've had a little bit here and there, but um, you also argue that it's on the way and that more of it is being seen in the present age in which we live. Yeah. How about how do you deal with those uh, texts like First Thessalonians one nine and five ten that say Christians will not experience wrath? How how do you deal with people that bring that up? Yeah, one ten, first that's one ten and five nine. Yeah, yeah. I uh, uh, the the wrath of God prophetically has a technical meaning in Scripture, and it goes all the way back to the Old Testament prophets, the great day of the Lord's wrath, the overflowing scourge, uh, so forth. And the and and theologically, we know that believers are not under the wrath of God. We're not children of wrath. We're children of God, uh, sons of God in that sense. Mm-hmm. And so. Um, be, the Bible uh, connects the wrath of God with the seven-year tribulation, uh, Revelation 6 to 18. When you get to Revelation 6, the wrath of God is already being poured out. They're hiding from it. They're begging to be set free from it. Um, so the wrath of God constitutes the entire 70th week of Daniel, um, and the church has promised that we will not be here then. And I know I understand there are other doctrinal positions out there. I just disagree with them strongly. I think the pre-tribulational view of Scripture is patently obvious when you understand the distinction between Israel and the church. You understand Daniel's 490-year plan, and you understand the prophetic wrath of God. So what the Bible promises is that the rapture will rescue believers before the outpouring of God's wrath. It does not promise, in fact, it promises just the opposite. It doesn't promise that we're going to avoid persecution or trouble. Is there is there a difference between man's wrath and God's wrath? Yeah, and Satan's wrath, by the way. And in Revelation, you see the same word, orge, used both of God's wrath and Satan's wrath. And of course, man's wrath is, is you know, wrath doesn't have to always have a technical term, a technical meaning, context determines meaning. But there is a technical sense to wrath, theologically, as the prophets make clear. So, uh, but yeah, what I, what I point out in the book is that for 2,000 years of church history, many of our brothers and sisters in Christ have suffered you know, the ultimate fate of martyrdom, going all the way back to the church fathers. Um, And in America, we've largely been shielded from that, although I think there's a lot more of it out there than people realize. I mean, there are people today, you know, sitting in a Gitmo-style prison being tortured for doing nothing more than criminal trespass. So... And 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 believe me, Agreed. I'm talking. I'm I'm sharing at the Orlando conference. My second message there is called uh, "Bloodlust: The Luciferian Depopulation Agenda," exposing it. Yeah. And you know, when you think about some of the things that the 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 deep state leaders that are working at the behest of Satan have done in our country, you know, it's it's unbelievable. That's why I always laugh when people make the comment, "Oh, well, the government, you know, would never do something like that that would kill that many people." You know, I go, well, you oh, haven't really, you, haven't, you know, it's like they think the depravity of man somehow stopped at the beltway around D.C., you know, that, you know, they understand Stalin and Hitler and Pol Pot and Mao, but, but American leaders would never do that. You know, somehow they're immune to such horrific actions, you know, so I think that's a naive perspective, but, uh, but yeah, I think uh, persecution is coming. We've experienced it. I mean, Nothing to the extent of you know having to give up our lives for it, but uh, you know we we face attacks all the time, and and my wife and I pray uh, you know regularly for protection. We have a lot of people in our ministry praying for us and for our family because we really believe that the closer we get to the return of Christ, those who are unashamedly proclaiming a clear, accurate, and urgent gospel message coupled with those that are sounding the alarm about what Satan and his, you know, accomplices are are doing, are targets. And I mean, I'm still a relatively small voice in this arena, and yet we know we've experienced some spiritual warfare even, even just in the last couple of weeks, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you said the date, um, 
go back to a different question. You said that 2025 is being an important time for Luciferians. Um, can you explain exactly why that is, why 2025 is so important? And are you saying that the rapture might be happening sometime soon? Like, explain that, if you would. I do think the rapture is going to happen soon, mm-hmm. but I don't, you know, I'm not setting a date and, and I'm not saying that that's, you know, biblical authority or something. That's just my studied opinion. Um, but as far as 2025, yeah, it's very interesting. The Luciferians have picked that date. I don't know why, but that's their target. If you go back to the 1930s, 40s, uh, a gal named Alice Bailey, who was a, uh, along with her husband, she was a Satan worshiper, and she, along with her husband, started the Lucifer Publishing Company. Uh, and they, uh, she, she wrote over 10,000 pages of documents, most of which were published posthumously. But in those 10,000 pages, she claims to be uh, channeling a demon that she named Master DK. And this demon shared with her uh, that uh, on multiple occasions, I think there were 15 references. And, and remember, this is going back almost 100 years ago, 15 references to the year 2025 as yeah. being the time of the, the what what they perceived as the next 100-year divine council that's going to come, and it'll be the final one that takes over the world, and the demons will come down and, and, and usher in the one-world system. So, and then you couple that with all kinds of other more recent uh, white papers and, uh, you know, decla- not so much declassified documents, but leaked documents from within some of the Luciferian uh, agencies and think tanks. And they're all talking about the 2020s. And especially ever since uh, the COVID, uh, the pre-planned COVID pandemic, which was planned 22 years in advance and rolled out right on cue, they are they have been very vocal about how well they think that was received and went over the experiment to gain control and and for example to get Christians to stop worshiping Jesus on Easter Sunday for the first time since Constantine mm-hmm. pretty much globally with very few exceptions that that went over without a hitch most Christians just rolled over and worshiped at the altar of government they were so shocked at how well that went over that they immediately started writing books and giving interviews especially emanating from Davos uh, about the fact that they think they can push the agenda even sooner. They thought 2030 was kind of their their deadline. Now they're saying 25, 26. Uh, so again, does not in any way mean that it's going to happen, and we we need not fear uh, the Luciferian agenda. But in any battle, knowing the enemy's game plan is pretty helpful. And so uh, I think it would be. We don't know the mind of God. We don't know what his timetable is. The rapture is imminent, meaning it can happen at any time, not at a prescribed time. So therefore, we have to prepare as if the Lord will continue to tarry his coming, and we will be you know, enduring a lot of these things that uh, that they're planning to roll out. Uh, so I think it's, it's troubling times, but it's also exciting times because we see the stage being set for the end of the age, you know? Yeah, to be prepared, you've got a statement, a comment, love warns, ignorance can't, and evil won't. Would you like to elaborate on that? I can't. So the the history of that is pretty (laughs) amazing. You know, we, I'm trying to find it here in my book just so I quote it correctly. And that's the reason I just list the initials. But, you know, as Not By Works has has grown over the last, uh, what, 24 years now, uh, and and God has you know increased our stewardship. You know we get tons of of email and phone calls and even texts because my my cell number's out there. Uh, and we just recently hired um, uh, some staff to help help respond with some of that. But a really sweet lady, some time ago, before the first book was, or maybe it was while I was writing the first book, but she dialogued with me about some theological questions, and she made that statement, and I it really struck me, and so I. Uh, I emailed her and said, "Hey, where did that come from?" I assumed that she was quoting someone. She said, "No, I just came up with it, and I've, I've, I've mentioned it often." And the statement was, "Love warns, ignorance can't, and evil won't." And so I included it as an epigraph in the book with her permission, because you know, love, of course, God is love. We know that from First John, and God has warned us in His Word. Uh, about the consequences of sin, about the need for a savior, about uh, many other things. And in fact, going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, it was God who gave a warning to Adam and Eve, his highest pinnacle of creation made in his image, not to eat from the forbidden tree so that they wouldn't die. And that was not a some kind of a sick carrot type game that God was playing. He was honestly out of love warning them. Um, but the second part of that statement, love warns and then ignorance can't. And people who 
who don't know what's really going on are sitting ducks for, for, for what happens next. But then thirdly, evil will never warn you. Evil does not want to warn you. It wants to hide the consequences from you and lie about the consequences, which of course is what Satan did. He said, you will not surely die. He told you, you know, so, so love warns, ignorance can't evil won't. And that, that just resonated with me. Yeah. Good. You muted. Come on, Scott, you got something there. A couple of weeks ago, we had the March for Life. And um, in your book, you say that such protests, um, you would assume are over because of SCOTUS's decision with Dobbs. But actually, that Dobbs and, and SCOTUS's decision on that played right into the hands of the Luciferians. Could you explain that to us? I can, but I'm sure I'm going to make some enemies. But I've talked about this pretty extensively in other contexts, talked about it extensively on Sanctity of Life Sunday. I encourage folks to go back and listen to my message on Life is Sacred from January of this year, Mm -hmm. uh, of 23. But what most people miss, not all, there are a lot of good conservative Bible teaching people out there that saw right through it, is that you know the the, the Dobbs decision, uh, June 24, 2022, was was not a good decision at all. It actually was a was a terrible decision that will lead ultimately to to the destruction of human life. Um, the Dobbs decision crystallized once and for all that according to the United States Constitution, the unborn have zero constitutional mm-hmm. rights, because if they had constitutional rights then the Supreme Court would not be able, under the Constitution, to defer to the states. Based on the 10th and 14th Amendments, the only thing that the Supreme Court can defer to the states are those things that are not already explicitly given as rights based on the federal Constitution. And so what the Supreme Court decided is, no, unborn children have no constitutional right to life. Therefore, we're going to leave it up to the states to decide when and how to kill your children. So the Dobbs decision was, was a decision not about uh, you know, whether you can kill your children, but about where, where you can kill your children. And it has had disastrous consequences. Already, they've created a created a, a, an abortion tourism industry. Yep. Uh, many companies are, are, are offering their employees $4,000 or more paid leave to travel to different states so they can kill their unborn children. Why are they doing that? Why are they doing that? Well, because the Luciferians love death. The proverb says, "All who hate God love death." What's and in they, it for the What's in it for the companies? Well, those companies are all controlled. So, they're, the the corporate America is absolutely controlled by the Luciferian agenda. Doesn't mean every manager or mid level executive is in on it, but at the top level, these are the guys that are sitting in dark smoke filled rooms, you know, around sacrificial altars, drinking blood and 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 you know, plotting and planning with Satan. I mean, these are the Bohemian Grove type type people, and so those policies and principles trickle down. So companies like Levi's and Disney and J.P. Morgan and Tesla and Starbucks, you know, their you know their managers may not have any idea who's ultimately pulling the strings, but they want to see more people die. In fact, I I talk about in the book in the chapter chapter thirteen, which was the most difficult chapter for me to write of both volumes, and this is in volume two uh, about you know how the overt Satan worshippers actually view abortion as a sacrificial, uh, you know, as a sacrifice to Satan. And and I give several examples of that going down in Texas, for example, where a, a Satan worshiping congregation sued the state because there there wasn't an abortion clinic near enough to their house of worship, uh, and uh, so they they I mean it's just it's sickening. So they love death, and I mean I, there are monetary you know benefits and power and, and money and all of that's part of it at the mid level, but ultimately sure. it it's just goes back to the Garden of Eden when Satan see see Satan sees mankind as God's highest pinnacle of creation. In fact, man was made in the image of God. And so he, because he hates God and wants to usurp control, he wants to destroy man because he thinks that's going to be egg on God's face, right? And so he, we are his target. And so that's why he went to Adam and Eve and said, go ahead, take a great big bite. You're not going to die because <laughs> he knew that we would die. He was a liar. Jesus said, everything Satan says is a lie. And so he wanted us to die. And um, that's why Jesus said he was a murderer from the beginning. So I think this death, this obsession with death, 
We see it. In fact, I'm going to be talking in Orlando about tracing the history of human sacrifice all the way back for 6,000 years to the ancient Near East. You know, and the Bible talks about that, Malak and so forth. So uh, we we see it on every continent. We see it in archaeological evidence of it in, in just about every culture. Uh, this is nothing new. What what has happened, unfortunately, is most Christians are not uh, studied on this point. And when they hear someone like me come along and say, yeah, the Luciferian elite at the top tier, they're sacrificing children and drinking blood. They think that I'm nuts. Mm-hmm. It's like they they know or should know if they read the Bible that this was happening in the ancient Near East in the times a thousand years before Christ. Do we think it got better? <laughs> That yeah. somehow man self-corrected and decided not to do those evil, horrific things? Of course not. It's 10 times worse today. Well, people well, do push think, back on that a little bit. Yeah. You you actually think the heads of Coke and Amazon and Facebook are sitting around killing children and drinking their blood? Or is this more metaphorical? No. Or is this through the through the uh, decisions that they make, or you actually think they're actually participating in these things? No, we, 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 it's not metaphorical at all, Scott. We know for a fact that the top tier Luciferians that I outline in the book uh, are doing that just in the same way that you and I pray to the Lord, worship him and read his word. They're getting their marching orders directly from Satan as to specifics of who's involved. That's a little more difficult to pin down. We we can name some names, but you know, you look at some of the documentaries out there, like Out of Shadows, and you look at the you know the PizzaGate Podesta fiasco, and you look at uh, Jeffrey Epstein and 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 Epstein Island, and and you look at some of the things like uh, the. Uh, uh, thing out of Nebraska, the Franklin scandal and the Franklin cover-up. There's just too many smoking guns just in the last 50 years uh, that show that, yeah, there is a dark, seedy underworld of satanic ritual abuse that is happening. And again, we know that theologically, so it shouldn't surprise us to know it anecdotally as well. And so this evidence that you're alluding to is is known, but much of it is covered up. Absolutely. Yeah, I remember seeing a documentary a few years ago when I was researching all this on one of the mainstream media channels that was making the claim that satanic ritual abuse doesn't exist and that it was all made up. I mean, that is patently and provably <laughs> false. You know, uh, uh, Russ Dizdar, who I followed extensively, he died a couple of years ago. I'm pretty sure they killed him, but he was one of the leading world experts on satanic ritual abuse, traveled the world and the country c- consulting with police departments and authorities on satanic ritual abuse. He's got all kinds of documented evidence of satanic ritual abuse. We see it coming out of Hollywood. We see actors both current actors and those that have broken free from the satanic uh, underworld of, of Hollywood, exposing it and talking about it. Uh, the movie, the Stanley Kubrick movie, Eyes Wide Shut, uh, is uh, snatched from the headlines type stuff. Uh, what's her name? Tom Cruise's wife uh, that starred in it. Tom Cruise and whatever her name was. I forget. Yeah, the- I don't know her name. Yeah. Anyway, uh, it's right on the tip of my tongue, but um you know that she did an interview afterwards explaining that a lot of that was was taken from her childhood or not taken from but she could act it better because she had experienced it as a child when her parents would have these satanic ritual gatherings and and she would be offered up to you know people let's just say so you know it's there's no question that this exists uh it, we like to sanitize it and and we can't imagine it happening. But, you know, as the prophet said, the heart of man is desperately wicked. And, you know, uh, these kinds of things, sadly, are are happening. Yeah. The problem is people think that we're getting better. It's the idea of the evolution, right? right? We're, we are, they think we are getting better in reality. We're getting worse, right? We're, we're living shorter, maybe medical and doctors are making us live a little bit longer. But um, back to these evil leaders, satanic leaders and leadership, how did they get in leadership? Why are most of the leaders today globalist? Why are most of the leaders today um, doing these satanic things? Like, how did that happen versus maybe more Christians in government, more um, Bible believers in government? Yeah. So, uh, first of all, let me comment on the second part of your question first. There's no question that God has used born again believers in key positions throughout the world mm-hmm. to be a resisting. A restraining influence. And that's what Second Thessalonians 2 is talking about. When that restraining influence of the Holy Spirit working in and through the church is removed after the rapture, 
it's going to be exponentially worse. But but if you step back and look at it globally, going back six thousand years to you know the Genesis six account and that which isn't six thousand years, you know, but yeah. one of the early days, uh, mm-hmm. what yeah, is it, fourteen hundred? Yeah, yeah fourteen hundred yeah. years after creation is when I think that happened. Um, mm. You know, you you see the bloodlines of these uh, Luciferians, and and so they have always had Satan has always had his you know, uh, unscrupulous agents that are marked out for his use in key positions of of world uh, leadership. And so that could be Nebuchadnezzar, you know, that could be Assyrian leaders and Persian leaders, that could be the Roman emperors. And, uh, you know, modern times, it could be Mao and Pol Pot and Hitler, of course. Um, mm-hmm. But Within the United States specifically, which is where a lot of my research has focused, it really does go back, Gabe, to that turn of the century intentional design by the Rockefellers, the Carnegies, the Fords, the uh, several other of those uh, you know elite groups that got together and said, "This has gotten out of hand. We've got to do something about these Christians. We got to do something about uh, this country," and they they systematically took over key elements of our uh, country, including education, finance, medicine. That's why you hear of Western medicine. <laughs> you know, well, that's that was the genesis of it. And, and it's really fascinating how he did it. I mean, they they used money and power and, and gave money to these medical institutions and medical schools in exchange for being able to hand select board members. Then mm-hmm. those board members do their bidding because they're under their thumb. And then the first thing you know, the whole curriculum has changed, the whole philosophy has changed, and now you fast forward multiple generations, and every doctor today, with few exceptions, who's grown up and been trained in that setting, practices Western medicine and doesn't realize that you know there's a, there's another way uh, to do it. Same thing with education. So, I mean, people are shocked when they when they stop and think about the fact that compulsory government schooling has been around for roughly one hundred years out of 6,000. So yeah. we have 5,900 years. I don't know how in the world we survived in training our children without compulsory government schooling. It's shocking. I mean, it took us that long to figure out that the best way to train fools, because remember the Bible says foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. We figured out finally that the best way to train fools is to lock 30 of them in a room together for eight hours a day for 13 years and wonder why when they graduate, they're about as far away from hmm. common sense and knowledge and wisdom as we can get. So, so yeah, it was, it was intentional. That's how they got in leadership. And if you do, if you look at the boards of a lot of the major corporations and media conglomerations and so forth, you'll see a lot of crossover. You see a lot of Davos men and women. You see people serving, you know, here and here and here. And it's a much smaller world than people think about. It's incestuous. incestuous. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. really is. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, I'm going to lump, lump a couple chapters together, uh, a few chapters together. I kind of think they say the same thing. You have an expose chapter, chapter five, on the secret societies, mm-hmm. uh, Freemasonry, Illuminati, Skull and Bones, and on and on. So that's a good expose chapter. I'm going to pair that with your chapters nine and 10 on things like what are UFOs and talking about crazy things like close encounters, skinwalkers, what is cryptos? What is all this stuff? (laughs) Yeah. So, of course, the premise of the book of the two volume series is the spirit of the Antichrist. I came up with seven characteristics of the future Antichrist. Uh, that I call spirits based on 1 John 4, 3. And then I took those characteristics and overlaid them with current uh, culture to see if we see an upsurge in them. And so the, the chapter on secret societies falls under the spirit of power. And certainly they use secret societies and secrecy uh, as a means of control. Uh, they use fake elections. They use uh, you know, global surveillance. They use the Council on Foreign Relations, Bilderberg, Bohemian Grove, some of those things. But the UFO and paranormal chapter falls under the spirit of phenomena. And we know the Bible tells us that in the seventh, seven-year tribulation, there are going to be many signs and wonders uh, that he uses to deceive the world. Uh, so we're going to see an upsurge in phenomenalistic spiritual behavior. And so in the chapter on UFOs, uh, I, of course, I have the benefit of writing this book after 
Uh, the government finally admitted after 70 years what many of us ufologists have been saying for years, and that is that they've been studying and tracking UFOs since 1947. So I got I got to write in a more, you know, accepted climate, as it were, um, because now it's it's a fact not in dispute that indeed there have been hundreds of thousands of documented cases of UFOs stemming from 1947 uh, that the government, the Air Force, the Army have been tracking uh, through, you know, they have whole buildings, multiple floors of buildings with file cabinets full of eyewitness accounts from credentialed military personnel, pilots, uh, captains, admirals, as well as lay people and just individual mm. citizens. Um, so there's no question that UFOs exist, but what the question is, is what are they? And as mm. biblicists who believe the Bible is the only standard for our beliefs, attitudes, and practices, we believe they are dimensional or demonic. And I make the case in the book uh, that it all stems from World War II, when Satan, who is not omniscient, and doesn't know God's plan, began to see Israel emerging as a nation once again. Uh, and he knows that if Israel is emerging as a nation for the first time in eight, uh, 1900 years, just about, um, that that could be a signal that the Lord's ready to move into his endgame. So I believe Satan sent out his demonic reconnaissance missions uh, with his legion of demons trying to come see what's going on and report back to him. And I think that's what we saw happen with like the Kenneth, Kenneth Arnold sightings uh, over Mount Rainier and uh, the uh, the one in uh, Roswell and many others. And by the way, it wasn't, even though 1947 is widely accepted as the dawn of the modern UFO period, it really goes back uh, you know, before that, uh, to the height of World War II, when you when you saw the Foo Fighters, for example, uh, I think that was forty three. I don't have the date right in front of me, I but yeah. yeah, but you know, there were other examples of it. But it all seems to really have emerged with great fervor surrounding World War II and Israel. And so, yeah, all of that to me is just one more sign of the times, uh, and. You know, I'm not suggesting that every one of these reports of of a UFO or some other type of paranormal, you know, skinwalker or shapeshifter or Bigfoot or you name it, is legit. There's certainly a lot of fakers out there, but the evidence is overwhelming that something is happening. And you know, you you can't deny the existence. You can reject the interpretation of it as we do with the little green men from Mars type right. approach, but you can't deny the reality of it. Tucker Carlson really is uh, into UFOs. Yes, he yes, he is. a lot of time studying it. Yeah, he you has. Are, yeah. Uh, you argue that uh, we're lied to every day by the media and by our government. And I don't think you're going to get too many conservatives that disagree with that. <laughs> we were assured that the shot was a vaccine when it actually was a gene modifier rather than a max. You know, what you pointed out in your book, I thought was really interesting. Uh, Big Pharma's Moderna. Mm -hmm. I thought, I didn't know what that name meant, but uh -huh. it's actually M-O-D, mod, E-R-N-A, modify your DNA. Right, yeah. exactly. I mean, it, it literally is the recoding of our bodies. Yep. Yeah. That sounds like something straight out of Frankenstein, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Laboratory. Uh, what are I going to do? Put bolts on our next next? I don't know. But <laughs> the question for me is, why don't people see it and why don't they care? Well, because we're more deceived today than ever before. Uh, and it, we're, we're more deceived tomorrow than we were today. I mean, deception is an increasing uh, problem. And, you know, people, uh, they've already kind of lost the ability to think critically. They believe and swallow hook, line, and sinker, everything uh, the, the media tells us. Uh, as far as the, the, the uh, pandemic, you know, it was... A classic example of the Hegelian dialectic, where they used fear to motivate people to cry out for the very solution that they want to begin with. I mean, if you can imagine, you know, if the Luciferians want us to stop worshiping God and want to marginalize the Christian faith, if they had just stood up one day out of the blue and said, okay, from now on in America, Christians can't go to church, there would have been a revolt. Yeah. But instead, what they used is fear with all the mainstream media showing these tickers of all the people that are dying, you know. And by the way, if you've seen the movie Left Behind, the latest one, uh, notwithstanding the fact that it had a horrible gospel presentation, which really I expected. So it didn't they do it all me. the time. Yeah. yeah, they do that all the time. But the the portrayal of what life might be like after the rapture 
was pretty fascinating to me because they're they're using the same mentality of they call it the vanishing that's what the way they explain it of course they're claiming it's you know aliens or whatever but then they talk about how the media is showing the ticker tape of the number of people are that are vanishing because they claim that it's happening again and it's just snatched right from the headlines of the covid uh pandemic but so they get people to fear and then people say oh save me from the boogeyman and and then you get people actually begging to be isolated and and uh, quarantined, and that that's that works much better for them. Yeah, they create the problem in the first place, and then they provide the solution. Exactly. Voila, look at that. That's it. That's exactly the the Hegelian dialectic in a nutshell. Yep. And I do notice we're talking about globalism. I do notice like we're talking about political globalism, but also we see religious globalism as well. Like, do you think with relativism, with the fact that there's no truth? Do you think that's, you see this in left behind as well. Do you think that is kind of leading us to a place where there's going to be one religion that's taking over where we just accept all religions? They're all, all tied together. Yeah, Gabe, absolutely. That, you know, the last chapter in volume two is on the one world religion. And yeah. remember Satan's plan is to usher in a one world system politically, economically, and religiously. And uh, so we absolutely see that. I believe the antichrist is not going to be Islamic or you know, Jewish or Christian, you know, one who denied his, you know, fake, a fake Christian, a po- you know, whatever. I think he's going to be a pluralist. And that's the only way in my mind that he's going to be able to get the entire world to come on board. Uh, no one religion is going to convince every other religion to convert. But if you basically promote the idea, as we see happening in earnest right now, that, you know, there's no one way, there's multiple roads, you know, you know, can't we all just get along kind of an environment? then, you know, I think that's that's going to help him succeed. Yeah. How does, um, let's go to current events, just re- briefly. Uh, any thoughts on how the disaster in East Palestine, Ohio, fits yeah. in? Well, you know, uh, I think it was Reagan who said, and I'm not necessarily a particular Reagan fan, but it was a, one of his many fascinating quotes. He said the, the most, you know, the scariest words in the, in the American language are, I'm with the government and I'm here to help. Yeah. So, you know, I think, uh, I, I think, what we can say for sure is that we're not getting the full story. That's, you know, patently obvious. We've got too many eyewitnesses on the ground and too many individual independent reporters out there doing testing and showing that, you know, what the the story we're getting is not true. Um, I I talked about this recently on my world events update podcast with the Randy. I think, you know, there's more to it than that. I don't know that we'll ever really know the truth, but there's definitely more to it than what meets the eye. There's, too many accidents, too many food plants blowing up, too many yep. issues that, that that defy logic to make me think this is just some type of organic thing. Um, so it's it's pretty serious. We actually drove right through it last week or week and a half ago. Uh, so far, I'm not sick, but we'll <laughs> see. I also drove through Chernobyl on a train uh, a few years after that disaster. So maybe that explains a lot. I don't know. But um you know, it uh, it to me, it's it's a tragedy. Um, the the very nature of the accident to me uh, is is questionable. Um, you know, the axles overheating that strikes yeah. me as some type of sabotage. Uh, I'm not an expert. I'm not an engineer, so I'm, I'm just speculating. But I do know enough about the mindset of the Luciferians to know that it would be nothing for them. Uh, to, to cause that type of accident. And another, the, a lot of strange things about it. You might've seen some of this, Gary, but you know, three months before the disaster, the uh, EPA did a test, you know, a, 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 a uh, sure. exercise or whatever, in which they gave all the citizens of East Palestine, these app, apps on their phone to be used in the event of a disaster in which they could report adverse health effects. Well, I mean, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, no, we I, see this I, yeah. time and again whenever there's a major disaster. Just the coincidence. And, yeah, yeah, you just, go back and look, and there's a there was an exercise right before, like event two hundred one, and so right. So, but, but we uh, uh, we interviewed John Whitehead of the mm, Rutherford Institute. Yeah, and he he has many books and a podcast that basically focus on the police state that's taking shape here in America, and. I want, we haven't talked about it, but how does that, all of that relate to the Luciferian plan? Everything about our lives is being watched and counted and surveilled. How does all that play into their plan? 
Yeah. So again, Satan is not omniscient or nor omnipotent. So if he's going to control the world and he's going to have control over, uh, you know, what people buy and sell and where they travel, he's going to have to do it through man-made means. And so I've talked a lot about this, and I'm going to be talking about it uh, in Orlando, the totalitarian tiptoe. By the way, both of these uh, videos will be recorded and, and posted at our website. So by the time this podcast that we're recording now airs, they'll probably be available. But in the totalitarian tiptoe, I'm going to talk about how they're using uh, central bank digital currencies, for example, and a digital ID program as a means of complete you know, planetary global surveillance so that everything you do is tracked. I mean, it already pretty much is. But the day is going to come when, uh, certainly by the time the Antichrist is in power, when you literally can't walk across the street without them knowing. And so uh, so I think that's just part of the power grab that Satan wants. Um, he Again, he can't. he's not sovereign. He's not omnipotent. So he can't just speak things into existence. That's why they have transhumanism. They're trying to create life desperately through the bio-digital convergence of technology yep. and science and, and all that. Um, he'll never be able to create life ex nihilo because he's not God. But he's certainly going to try, as, as Gary said earlier, to imitate. <laughs> you know, that's what antichrist means. Anti has two nuances in Greek. It's a compound word, antichristos. It means against which Satan certainly is an enemy of Christ, but it also means a fake or imposter. And that's what Satan is trying to do with uh, with all of this technology. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, going back to your most difficult writing, chapter 13, you bring up uh, a phrase that we all liked, gender surrender. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so I think, again, that's just in a direct assault on the image of God and man, you know, because Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says in the uh, male and female, he created them. And so man was incomplete before Eve was created. That's why, you know, in the Hebrew text, again and again, after each creative act, the text says God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. Then he gets to creating Adam and he says, this is not good. And then he put Adam to sleep created Eve. And then he says, everything is, is very, very good. So, uh, so Satan is trying to eliminate gender. And part of that is because he knows that in his attempt to create fake human beings, AI, uh, they're not going to have gender. Gender, AI does not have gender, right? So he's got to, to, to make AI become acceptable. He's got to do away with the notion of gender. So it's the gender surrender movement to get people comfortable with the fact that that gender is irrelevant it's marginalized you get to pick your gender you can go back and forth you can be whatever you want it's not part and parcel to the image of god and man to humanity really uh so i think it's a it's a it's a demonic assault and it's just one more sign of the times yeah i think we're out of time well i gotta i gotta gotta ask about one more he's gotta go to a meeting one more, one more. I got time for one, one more. more then I'm gonna. My car's running, and I gotta rush out the door. I'm so sorry because I could talk about this for hours. I love it. You are not a fan of Donald Trump. You're gonna make a lot of people yeah. unhappy there. Oh, I did. I, I already did. I alluded to it in my first book, uh, and then in my second book, as promised, I dealt with my perspective on it. But look, I could be wrong. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm not. I wouldn't put it in the book if I thought I was wrong. But uh, uh, you know, I'm I'm open, and I respect people that disagree with me. But I encourage them to read that section of Volume Two. Um, you know, the fact of the matter is, uh, he was a a pawn in the game, a tool of the Luciferians to bring about. The pandemic, and particularly the uh, experimental gene-altering bioinjections. Remember, it's the Trump shot. I mean, he's not repented. What you want about the guy? It's the Trump shot, and he has not repented of it. Yeah, and he's not. No, he's still out there pushing it. But you know, he he put his guy in charge of Operation Warp Speed, who, by the way, was a until the moment he took that position, was a board member on Moderna. Now, Mm -hmm. tell me that's not a conflict of interest. Mm -hmm. Moderna got four trillion dollars from Operation Warp Speed, and he put the guy from uh, not Pfizer, um, Eli Lilly. He shows him as his health and human services secretary. I mean, Eli Lilly guy was the one who uh, Alex Azar, I think is his name. He was the one it was Trump's HHS secretary. He was the one who presided over a lot of the psychotropic drugs and and, and MKUltra and stuff like that. So I just don't 
I'm not willing to give the guy a pass. I think it was the it was an example of a mass bandwagon hysteria, and again the fake right left par- par- paradox. You know, you, you know, he wasn't Hillary, so he must be good. I mean, and I'm convinced that a lot of Christians they would vote for Satan himself if he had an R after his name. They just have no discernment. They they buy into this concept of you know evil. The lesser of two evils, uh, and I prefer, you know, to look at the evil and two lessers is my is my approach. So yeah, I'm not a fan because I think uh, whether wittingly or unwittingly, I'm not saying he's a top tier Luciferian. I think he was an outsider, but he was played because, again, it's not elections, it's selections. I've been saying this for years, 15 years. I wrote about it in 2012 in my book, The Great Last Days: Deception. So I'm glad that more people are waking up today to the rigged elections. But it was rigged in 2016. You know, they put Trump in there for a purpose, intentionally. Can you imagine if Hillary had won the election in 2016, and 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 Hillary, President Hillary Rodham Clinton, stood up and said, "Okay, we have a pandemic, and I want all you conservative Christians to stop worshiping Jesus and don't go to church." How well do you think that would have gone over? But because Donald Trump said it, everybody largely went along. They they knew they could get the progressives and liberals to go along. They just used fear. But conservatives are a little harder nut to crack, and they needed some help. So they needed their guy to be the one as the face of this pandemic. And remember, he, for what is it, 60-some-odd days, I think, he marched out every day and gave a big to-do press conference. and. We're all glued to the TV. And so he was their man of the hour. He rolled out the virus. He's still pushing it. Uh, and that's my take on it. Should Christians just end Apple? there? We're going to have to end there. Gabe, do you have anything else? <laughs> um, nope. I think we're good. Gary, good question. But um, notbyworks.org, right? Notbyworks.org. Yeah, not and spiritoftheantichrist.org is the easiest way to get to the book. Uh, spiritoftheantichrist.org. Spirit of the Antichrist.org. Both books are there. You can read the preface. You can see the table of contents. And uh, thanks, guys, for thank you very much. And really appreciate it. Yep. We'll see thank you next you. time. God bless. Yep. Have a great trip. All right. Thanks. God bless. All right. Yep. See you guys next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Book Podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, like, follow, subscribe on any podcasting platform, on YouTube, on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Simply type in at Hear the Book Pod, at Hear the Book Pod. Thank you. See you next time.